Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen. My soul does say yes, amen. I'm so glad for the opportunity to be able to say yes. God called me into a wonderful church that preaches truth. So glad to be a part of an apostolic church, the apostolic church. Amen, 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 amen. We want to keep Pastor Riggin in our prayers as said before. We want to keep him, bring him back safe, all the family, all those. I guess it's quite a group that's went with him, and so I don't know how many, but it, they filled up an Instagram page, that's all I know. So there's a bunch. <laughs> And uh, we want God to keep his hand of protection upon him. You know, it's always wonderful when he goes to Israel, the Holy Land, because he comes back with something and teaches it and it just blows our minds. And it's great to look back at that and said, you know, God spoke to him in that area, gave him a message and revealed something to him to preach to him. And uh, so he brought it back and he preaches it to new life. And it's what a privilege and an honor. Amen. It's so good to be here. And our family is so gracious to be able to come here and minister. I never take it lightly. Sometimes I feel, as I've traveled sometimes and get on a plane, and you look up there and the door's open, you can see into the cockpit. You see the pilots up there with the co-pilot, and they have paperwork in their hands. As you're walking on, you see it normally shoved in up there in the window, and they're up there doing their things, and you wonder just how much experience they have when they're like, oh yeah, here's a knobby, 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 switchy, switchy, that made a noise, yep, we're, we're good to go, we've got everything, and uh, you're sitting back there with your seatbelt, and you just give it one more little tug just to make sure for good measure, and God takes you up and brings you back home safely to your family, but I feel like that tonight, I feel inexperienced uh, in this pulpit, I always have, and you know what? I hope I always do, because I respect the men of God that have filled this pulpit and graced this congregation with the Word of God. And so we'll just flip a few switches and turn a little knobby-knobbies and make a couple noises, and hopefully God will minister to us tonight and talk to us through His Word. Amen. I want to read to us from Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. We'll read through verse 17. Luke chapter 7, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. And now when they came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and when they bare him stood, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, "Young man, I say unto thee, arise." And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that the God hath visited his people. And this rumor went of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Amen, amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and pray one more time before we get into the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us tonight. Touch us and minister to our hearts and our minds, God. I ask that your anointing be upon my mind, my lips, and my heart, God, and all around me, God. To be of your spirit, God. To be of your anointing, God, that it overshadows. 
touch us in a mighty way. We ask you, God, to touch each and every meet in the house tonight. Walk with us and care for us, God, as only you can. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want to preach to you the God of interruptions. The God of interruptions. Reminded of a childhood, uh, I guess it wasn't in my childhood, I guess I'm more so in my children's childhood, of a knock-knock joke. I remember the first time that I heard it, they got me. They said, knock-knock. I said, who's there? They said, interrupting cow. I said, interrupting cow, and by the time I could get it out of my mouth, they said, move. And it was as a young child, the twins would love to do that to me, and I would play along as if I had never heard it every time. And I would say, interrupt him, Calhoun, and they would love it. But God interrupts our lives on purpose. It's not a joke. It's not something we play around with. But we see in our text tonight that the teaching of Jesus was holding a large audience of people captive, And as he journeys to the city of Nain, they were to find a large funeral procession and a large group of people coming together at the city gates. What a beautiful moment. And we find through the scripture it talks where he was teaching to them. And I know we're jumping mid-passage, but I don't want to preach a long time and you don't want to hear me preach a long time. So for the sake of that, we're going to jump mid-passage in Luke where we've talked about in our text what we see is the widow was all alone. Her only son is now laying dead in front of her in the funeral possession. And he was being carried to the burial tomb. And Jesus interrupts her. And what is left of this town historically is now what is documented as just a few tombs and a few Muslim families that live in this town. But at one point... It was a robust, vibrant place to come. And then we find, that's where we find Jesus going to this place. In the infinite wisdom of God, we have a large following after Christ and a large funeral procession coming together at the very same time. And we have what we find is the perfect storm happening in this city. Sometimes God will allow chaos in your life so he can present himself to you. Sometimes it feels like your world is upside down. But he's sitting there saying, all right, now let's move this piece here. All right, now I'm going to have these people follow him. And all right, now we're going to have this man drop dead. And now everybody's going to gather around behind this widow who is now left with absolutely nothing. And they're going to gather behind there, and they're going to go out at this time of the day. And all these people are going to gather and they're going to meet at this point in life. And we're going to find where the miracle takes place that we read about. And Jesus saw her. He acknowledged her existence. And he comforted her. And he spoke to her with confidence. Because he knew the outcome of his visit. He knew why he was there. And for her, all hope was lost. Her source of provision was now limited to a widow's rations. And being 
basically a burden upon her community because now she no longer had a son to help care for her. And, and she didn't have that strength in her life. And now she was dependent upon her community. And what we find is Jesus reaches out and touches the funeral couch. And just that alone should have got everybody's attention because it was not considered a popular thing to do to touch the funeral couch if you were not the pallbearer for the procession. Him reaching into her circumstance and then realize he's about to do something. He told her to weep no more. And as he touched the funeral couch, he spoke these words, Young man, I say unto you, arise. Now, there are some distinct differences between a miracle that God performs and one that man is involved, us in humanity, not as in Christ, but us in our own flesh, as the conduit for that miracle. There's a difference. The Lord of life performed a miracle over the death is very different than those who are the great ones that we read about in Scripture. And in some, but had anticipated or followed after him in his strange deeds that people's attentions were perked at the miracles that Jesus began to do. But what we find is there's Elijah. And before he could do the miracle that he was being impressed to do, he recalled the dead to life, but he mourned over them the life and the sea as Sarepta. And he began to contemplate the miracle. Elisha repeatedly stretched himself in agonizing prayer over the body before the miracle happened. Peter prayed earnestly over the body of Dorcas at Lydia. And then we find Jesus, the master of life, steps in and one solitary word says, arise. And all of a sudden, this man is brought back to this mysterious uh, habitation of earth where he thought he was gone. And now he's been pulled back and says, no, we're not quite done. Now, you may have convinced yourself that you're a nobody, God does not care, and who am I to be considered and prayed for, and why would anybody want to bring me to the house of God? And this church does place, when I say this church, it's not this church, but churches place a lot of weight on how the person has political influence or the power of wealth they may possess, and, and it's not a secret, and people see clean through it, and and if you are a man or a woman of influence, you'll find pastors that will parade them up to the platform just so everybody knows that they recognize them and they want them to feel wanted and a part of the congregation so they don't leave. But Jesus doesn't place that same importance. And we get hung up on it because we say, I don't have the credentials of a Christian to warrant the love and the mercy and the grace of God over and over and over and over. And yet, we stumble a few times and we're ready to give up and throw in the towel because we think, I'm not worthy. Some of that is quite interesting to read in Scripture. 
for the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. It was the faith of her parents that was honored. He went and begged of him and said, this is my only daughter. Got the attention. Jesus then overlooked him and moved on. And then come back when she was dead and they said, all right, I'll take care of it. The resurrection of Lazarus. Why not? He's a believer. Why not go and resurrect a believer? Even though he's three days dead, he was easily able to go over there and say, Lazarus, come forth. But the widow was simply that, a widow. Now she had been left with absolutely nothing. The feeling of being all alone may have encompassed your mind when you apply this to your own life. And despair is written all over your spirit. And hope has no value. And saying it is a waste of breath. And you find yourself in the very same shoes as the widow woman. But there is a God that interruptions has full control of your life. And he does it because he loves us. And he sees our situation. And he steps in the midst of it. And as it would in biblical times, if we could have someone scribe and be anointed to write, we would find the very same miracles that God wants to do in our life by his simple word that he speaks to us through scriptures, through song, through the word of God, and even directly speaking to us. And yet sometimes we refuse them because we don't feel like we're good enough. And God's wanting to interrupt a funeral possession. And in that, he's wanting to bring behind him a group of believers that are sitting there saying, I can't believe what is about to happen. But he orchestrated it all from the very beginning. He knew where he's going to end up. He knew the emotions that was going to be going through the crowd of people. And he knew what was going to happen. But yet, he took the time at the city gates to stop them and say, weep no more. Weep no more. When he gives us back life, there is a natural reaction to things in life. We read in scripture, as you read it literally, the young man sat up and began to speak. The gift of life does not display the ability of life without requirements. God is not going to step into your circumstances and your life and not require something back in return. It is not free. He asks of us of our obedience. He asks us to give something back in return. That young man's body had to obey the words of arrives. It had no choice. Because the master of life spoke them, it would have been as if the days of creation. If out there on the balcony of space... God was to say, let there be light. And it said, not today. It had no choice. When God gives you this opportunity and touches you again and restores you and makes you whole and makes you what he wants. And I, this is not original to me, but I heard a message recently. The preacher said, you know, we want God to fix things. We do. We want him to be the fixer. And you'll probably find the words in a song. He's a fixer. But he doesn't just fix. He takes things and he makes them new again. 
and he makes them greater than what they were. And when he restores it, he doesn't just do it in the sense that he makes it what it was, but he puts it in the place that it's supposed to be in his eyes, not our eyes. And when I heard that, I said, God, you love us so much, you allow us to break, but you're right there to catch us and pick us up and put us where you want us. And many times our brokenness is because we went there and broke ourselves, and he let us learn from it, pick us back up, and he says, now here's your encore. All of creation is waiting for you to obey the word of God. This is your opportunity to shine. We don't always have opportunity to come back and pray back through the Holy Ghost. We don't always have the same opportunity to go over and witness to somebody a second time. Sometimes those people fade away and you never see them again. You can be in a store, you can be in your job, and you can have God whisper to your spirit, hey, go talk to that person. God, just today's not that kind of good day. You don't understand the morning I've had. I don't feel skilled. I don't feel like I'm the right person. Let somebody else walk into the life. and You don't always have that opportunity to go in and say, how was your day? My weekend was great. I went to church. But God reaches down into our life and demands of us some very detailed things. Because when he interrupts our life, he does it for a reason. There's several examples that we'll get to, but one of which that I don't have in my notes, we see Abraham going to sacrifice his son. We call that obedience, and it is. But that was an interruption when an angel reached over and grabbed his wrist and prevailed and said, excuse me, sir, why don't you look over here? I've got something prepared for you. And in our mind, in our flesh, God tries to do the very same thing. And we have all the dialogue, the cue cards, but God, it's not on my schedule. Not today. I don't feel like it. I don't feel pastor saying it to me, so I'm not going to follow. Sometimes we get so hung up on it has to be a minister's word instead of God's word speaking to us when God uses everything. He can use a song playing on the radio. I've sat there and, and wept tears in my car just because a song come on and it ministered to my heart. And I sat there and said, I know this person don't even know what they're saying, but God, those words, those words mean something right now. You have made radio waves and talent and everything come together to where I get myself back up and you interrupted my day to have someone say, it's going to be all right. That's what God does. He reaches through time and space and grabs our hand when we're ready to slay what God has blessed us with. And our sheer will of obedience, you say, God, no, I'm not worried about that. You said, and you keep trying to kill. He says, no, stop. And you keep trying to kill the promise. And you overlook what God's trying to interrupt and let you keep the blessing. Let you keep the promise in front of you. But yet out of ignorance and stubbornness, we try to hammer that to the depths and kill it. And we say, but bless God, I obeyed what I was told 10 years ago. And God's saying, you just killed what I sent you. I tried so hard to preserve it. I put it over here and wrapped it up in the bushes and preserved it for you. But you, out of your ignorance, says, I must obey. I must obey. And we get a blinders on. And God says, I was just trying to get you to the top of the mountain. Now take the blessing and live in it. 
God uses time. And in our ignorance, we think we can get up and treat every day as its own and nothing else. And we'll close the light switch, turn the, close the blinds and turn the light switch off and say, oh, well, another day's gone. And we never think back and say, God, what did you want from me today? Did I miss it? Can I still recover this day? I missed it in the morning through prayer. I missed it through the word of God. Where did I fall short, God? So he can still reach down and say, thank you for asking. Thank you for stopping the funeral procession. Thank you for not passing me by. Reminded of a story of John chapter 4, verse 7 through 14. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. And then he said to the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, asketh me to drink? Which of a woman of Samaria? Read, 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 read. On down to verse 11. And, and the woman saith unto him, Sir, hast thou nothing to draw with? He'd already told her about living water, and the well is deep, and from hence thou hast... That from hence then hast thou that living water, and art thou greater than the father Jacob, which gaveth this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And she knew all the history of what was going on there. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in, a, in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus planned that interaction so that we could go to another verse of Scripture. Jesus made sure there was a well dug. Jacob, right here, dig it, stones, yep. I need to be able to sit here at a later date. I've already talked to this church about that. God ordained that. So he could go there and draw water and interrupt her and say, Ma'am, can I have a drink? Just so they could have a dialogue that we could go back. Now, we talk about various different aspects of the scripture where she went in and Jesus knew more about her than anybody else. And she went into the city and pulled them all out. That's great. But I want to focus on giving Jesus the opportunity so the word of God could bear the words that he can give living water. And there's a reason for it. Jesus chose that specific time at the well so we could have this verse of scripture to go into and would help fulfill the promise that had been told by all the major and minor prophets of a Messiah to come and be prophesied for thousands of years. There's one coming. We go to the great feast and in this great feast, it's in John chapter 7 and verse 37. And on each of these preceding days, water was drawn in a golden picture from the pool of Siloam and carried in procession into the temple. And it was offered by the priest as the singers began to chant Isaiah 12 and 3, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And what I find fascinating, what I find absolutely fascinating, I love this verse of Scripture, because if you, uh, most Bibles will break this down to where verse 37 through 39 are their own little section in this passage of Scripture. And what we see is, 
Day eight, the absolute pinnacle of this feast. People are gathered around. They are there. It's the last act of the celebration of the feast. The priest has dipped the water. The priest is holding it up to pour. The people are saying the songs and the scriptures and quoting things and all a part of the ceremony and everything's great and it's going to be just like the one that happened before and and as they go through the motions and it's going to be happening and all of a sudden Jesus interrupts. Excuse me, sir. I have something I need to say. And it says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He had already told this to the woman at the well. Now he's bringing it to fulfillment. He himself is telling it to the people that are standing there. Now, this was not just an ordinary um, group of people standing by. It's not like you can go see a flash mob and someone's doing something, gets everybody's attention in a mall, and all of a sudden, everybody stops and watches. These were devoted followers. They were there at the feast for a very specific reason. They believed the value of the feast. They were waiting with anticipation as the high priest began to pour the water, and Jesus says, I got one more thing. And he interrupts. That feast for a very specific reason. In verse 38 he says, And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they had believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost has not yet been given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet crucified. And what we find is he interrupts everything. He stays the whole celebration and says, He that believeth on me. Allows us to then jump to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. We'll pull one verse of scripture out of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There is a specific reason that God interrupts your life. You don't know, you can't understand, you question God, you doubt Him, and you lose your life with prayer, and you're you're sitting there saying, I don't understand what happened and why it's going on in my life. But God does. It's not void of purpose. We think, I've lost everything, nothing else matters in my life. God's sitting there saying, excuse me, sir, I have one more thing to tell you. And in that moment of of inconvenience to the flesh, there's a miracle that can be revealed to us. And we say, I'm so glad I heeded the voice of God. Just a few days in closing, just a few days this past Wednesday was 23 years ago that I had been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it seems like that time has flown by. I feel like such a novice. I don't feel like I'm mature in the word and in my life like I should be. But I'm okay with that because God interrupted my life and said, I'm going to give you a dream. I had tried for years and years and years to get the Holy Ghost. 
I had snotted so many Kleenexes and handkerchiefs, wasted so many adults and young people's time praying with me. But then one night, on the Tuesday night, I had a dream. And in that dream, God showed me standing in the place I actually got the Holy Ghost. And I woke up and I could feel the presence of God like I had never felt before. I was speaking in tongues in the dream. And when I woke up, I was like, God is going to do something. It was the first night of revival. And I went to church with anticipation because God had interrupted my life and said, you've wasted 16 years. I've got something for you. And I'm so glad that he interrupted a celebration that was on its eighth day to say, who silver will? If you'll thirst of me, I then, that set everything in motion so that I would have the opportunity to get down on my knees and just bawl my eyes out and snot, snot out of there and fill up napkins and paper towels and begin to pray and speak in tongues. That set everything in motion so that I could say, I've been with the master over 23 years. That time when he stood up in a moment of inconvenience gave me the opportunity to where I could say, I'll follow you. You reached down and you stayed the hand. I'll obey. I'll walk away from what I think is my prize. And I had written out my entire life in a notebook and said, this is what I want. This will make me happy. As a young person, I thought I knew what I needed. And little did I know, none of that, none of that that is what I can remember that I wrote has come to pass. Thank God. Because he interrupted my life. When God interrupts your life, your circumstances, what you think is right, you should praise God for the interruption. You should thank him that he cares enough to reach down and send the angel down and grab the wrist and say, don't kill my promise. Keep me, Lord. Give me the strength. Because it will pay off in the end. But we don't see it now. About two weeks ago, the family and I, we were traveling and we were going across uh, western, south, the southern part of western Kansas and and we pull into a little town called Mead, Kansas. I'm sure everybody's heard about it. No, you haven't. I don't even think they know they're on the map. And we pull into Mead, Kansas, and we have been dodging wind that was 30, 35 mile an hour winds coming from the south. And I was just exhausted. We're driving, and every semi and every cattle truck that passed us on this two-lane road would just blow us over to the side because the winds were so extreme and the moisture in the air and it was like a force multiplier with the wind coming, their wind, and then the moisture just pushing us all over the road. And we finally gave up and said, I can't do it anymore. I pulled into Mead, Kansas, and we get in there and we talked to, it was a city park, and we just said, all right, we're just going to park here, spend the night. When the park rangers comes up and says, turn the radio on because there's stuff down in the panhandle in Oklahoma. Okay, okay. We're really tired. So we go in there, and we're going to bed. Got the radio on. Believe it or not, turned on the radio. First station came on was a Christian radio station. It's like, 
That's awesome. In the middle of western Kansas, down around nobody. Pick up a radio station. We're sitting there getting ready. Everybody's doing their thing. All of a sudden, meh, meh. We interrupt this broadcast with, and that went on from about 7 o'clock until about 1, 1.30 in the morning, telling us tornadoes, and that went about every 10 to 15 minutes. Everybody's trying to sleep. Everybody in the radio, we kept it on because we're waiting for what county are we in, what city we buy, where's it at? And the kids kept saying, is that near us? And we're looking on the maps and trying to find out, is it coming towards us? But thank God for interruptions. You may think every church service is a whang, whang, lift your hands and praise God. Sing this song, everybody reading the Bible. But thank God there's interruptions because you never know when something's going to come through and it's going to be just for you. You may think it's annoying and I've heard this before and I'm going to hear it again and it's another Bible study and it's another message and we've read that verse of scripture. How many times and how many times can we sing this chorus? But God is just trying to get us tuned to hear his voice. Set up the moment in time where we can hear his interruption where he says, listen, Douglas K. Goff, I interrupt this day so you can fulfill the law of Christ and share this gospel but instead I'm saying, that was my favorite song. Just a couple weeks ago in that very same storm cell where we were getting hammered here and hammered across the east and there was a news article that I ran across where they said this meteorologist went off on his viewers because he says, you're mad because my broadcast, that's emergency designated to come on and warn people, you're mad because it interrupted your favorite television show. But I'm trying to save lives. Don't get mad at the preacher for interrupting your favorite part of life. He's trying to save lives. He's trying to say, seek shelter now. You're not where you should be. You need to pray more. You need to fast more. You need the word of read the word of God more. Getting our attention. Thank God he wants to interrupt our stubbornness when we're trying to plunge the knife into the promise. Listen to the preacher. Hearken to the words of Jesus Christ when he says, just thirst. How long has it been since you've just thirsted the other day we're riding our bicycles we're all out there we look like a caravan all seven of us riding down this path and it's quite interesting as we're riding when i'm the first one i like to control the speed because we have younger ones and sometimes go down hills but they all complain that i go too slow but i'm just trying to enjoy the trip not work at it and they're all complaining. I said, all right, all right. And so when we had passed people home in the front, you would get the little friendly biker nod. Or, you know, we learned this in Kansas and Oklahoma and New Mexico. Everybody give us the, you know, we're driving. And Sister Golf was like, what are you doing? It's like, they're waving at me. I'm waving at them. You know, I don't know why they're doing that. They don't know me. They know I'm a foreigner. I come through here. I don't have Oklahoma plates, but they're giving me. And so as we're riding bikes, people are. We're riding down through there, and people are giving me the nod. I'm in the front. But then when I went to the back, we're riding down through there, and we'd pass people. And I can't tell you how many times people would pass me and say, hey, you're doing good, because they'd see everybody with their bike helmets on, everybody riding safely. 
And they would give me the, hey, you're doing a good job with your family out here doing the right thing. But we as Christians, sometimes we lose focus because we want to be at the front. And we're like, why is everybody waving at me? They don't know the context of who I am. They don't know my life. They don't understand me. But when you step back where the preacher's at, he sees everybody's lined up. Everybody's doing the right thing. God gives them a smile, says, you're doing good. Church is doing good. Everything's taken care of. Everybody's doing the right thing. Everybody's being safe. Everybody's making right decisions. No one's going too fast. No one's going too slow. Everybody's communicating things coming up. And we want to criticize from the very front and say, why are we not going this fast? Why are we going too slow? And you can hear the frustration of people around you, but you got someone back there saying, hey, everything's good. Just slow down. Just take it easy. I can see, as we came up to a hill, I was riding behind Xander. We come down a pretty good hill, and they're starting to clip around. He's starting to get a little shaky, and he hits the grass and comes back on. I said, all right, I need to go back up front and control the pace a little bit. You guys are getting a little out of control. Sometimes the Word of God needs to put us back in check. See, everybody start pacing to the ministry. Start pacing to the voice. Start pacing to the Word of God. Because you're starting to get a little bit of wobble. I can see it from behind. You need to be careful going down that hill. Sometimes the Word of God speaks to our situation, interrupts us and says, I'm having such a good time. I love it when I feel the wind in my face. But you know what? When you go down that hill too fast, you're losing control. God corrects us. It's a simple analogy. Sometimes it takes the simple interruptions in our life to reach down and say, listen to me. I'm talking to you. Stop interrupting me and let me talk. And God steps in and tells us, you need to do this more. You need to do less of this. You need to ride down the middle and stop going from side to side. God wants us to follow his voice. And we shouldn't have to have God scream and yell and interrupt us just so we can hear his voice. We should be able to hear that voice as we stand tonight. Be able to hear that still small voice. When he says, if you thirst, I'll give. If you hunger, I'll fill. God wants us to have something great in our life. He wants it to be more than we ever thought it could be. And he's willing to stop a funeral possession and prove his point. Because when that funeral possession took place, and they went and had the miracle happen, he didn't have to preach one message in that city. It was noised abroad, and they all believed, and they scattered and told everybody about this man who was fulfilling what God had promised from years before. People are waiting on you to fulfill the promise of God as we pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Master, for your voice to hearken on us to you, God. Draw us closer to you, Master that by never before, God, we'll feel your presence as we walk throughout our day and that we'll feel your presence in a rich way. Interrupt my life however you see fit. Come on, church, let's talk to him tonight. Let's talk to him tonight. God is speaking to somebody not being prophetic. God didn't give me this message right before service just so I could hear myself talk. He gave it because somebody needed it.
Listen to the voice of God tonight. Let him interrupt your life and put you back on track. Let him have your full, undivided attention. And don't just pray to appease your flesh, but say, God, don't let me destroy the promise in my life right now. Let's find us a place to pray. I know it's Tuesday night, but you need to listen to what word of God is trying to talk to us tonight. Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. We worship you, God. We worship you, God.